There's no pain for parents quite like burying a child, but for four Staten Island families, that tragic nightmare has become a reality as senseless violence among the borough's youth has claimed the lives of four children so far this year, the highest number recorded in recent history. I think anything where our youth on Staten Island is affected is something that we will always try to jump into and tell these stories and not let people forget that these are kids who are potentially getting hurt and their lives taken, and it's very real. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance breaking news reporter Shana McLawrence to discuss the troubling surge in youth violence on Staten Island and the devastating impacts it's had on the community. Thanks for joining me today, Shayna. I think this is the first time we're having you on the podcast, so I appreciate you coming on first and foremost. But I was also curious if you've done any other kind of like podcast prior to, to joining us here at The Advance. Thank you so much for having me on. I do appreciate it. But no, I have not had any real significant um, podcasting experience. Currently, I am in school. So for a couple projects, I had to create my own podcast. So this is really exciting to be putting that work to use. That is exciting. And that was kind of my, when I was in school, I was also, I did a couple projects on it. And then one of my buddies was like, hey, do you want to like do our own podcast? Just, you know, still trying to build the resume and all that kind of stuff, get the experience. And it was a lot of fun and obviously something that I took to and have now been doing for a while here at The Advance. So you've been speaking on camera before though, right? You've done some Facebook lives for us or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done some Facebook lives for The Advance and I've done some Instagram reels and TikTok. So I'm not really a stranger to like on-camera presence here. Okay, good, good. Well, then I think that this should go very smoothly. And again, I'm very excited to have you on today. So I want to talk a little bit about this series that you and our colleague Kyle Lawson have been working on regarding the troubling rise in youth violence that we've seen here on Staten Island. So I was curious if you could just tell us a little bit about that work that you two have been doing and kind of what inspired you to really dig a little deeper into this, because obviously breaking news, something happens, you report it, but then there are other things that happen where it's like, okay, this is worthy of more of a, a deep dive and extended coverage sort of thing. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that. We um, saw these cases, um, these horrific, you know, really terrifying cases happen where two young people recently, within a couple of weeks, lost their lives within hours of each other and two separate incidents. So I think anything where our youth on Staten Island is affected is something that we will always try to jump into and tell these stories and not let people forget that These are kids who are potentially getting hurt and their lives taken, and it's very real. You kind of hit the nail on the head there where we already had two instances earlier of this year of young people losing their lives to violence. And then when we did have that incident where it was two within such a short time span, and then that is such, you know, now we're up to four, which according to to Kyle's reporting is the, the highest number that we've seen in the borough since at least 2004, which is when we started tracking that data here at The Advance. So... I think that when you see that happen, not only is it the highest number that we've seen in a long time, but it's also it happens back to back like that. And there had already been these instances. I think it made sense for us to really like, okay, what's going on here? So 
you know, I've had a number of people on talking about different types of series that they are working on. And, and, and I think that those are really good ways for us to be able to dig a little deeper because there's always the reporting the news and then there's really covering the full story, which is something that we try to do here as well, especially in these bigger instances and larger issues. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit, you, you had done an article walking through what had happened, this timeline of the Staten Island youth crime. And so let's talk a little bit just first about the four children who lost their lives this year. And can you tell us about the circumstances of those of those incidences and what happened there? It started earlier this year in February. The island lost Stephen Estevez. He was a typical teenager who was happy. He um, played sports. So he's played uh, basketball for McKee High School. You know, he was a kid. You know, you see these kids walking on the street and he was just one of these kids, just like how the other three were as well. So the next incident that we had um, after Stephen in May, Jamari Harrell, he was 13 at the time. He lost his life while playing basketball at a park near his school. He had just gotten out of school at the time of the incident. And our most recent cases that happened on the same day this month, about two weeks ago now, almost at this point, Siles Ular, he was unfortunately stabbed to death on the way home from school while he was on a bus by another child. I didn't mention this previously a couple seconds ago, but Jamori, when he was shot at the playground, he was shot by what later we found out was another teenager as well. And now we have Destiny Nana Vegas. She also lost her life um, on October 6th. Police found her unconscious with a gunshot wound to the head. We do not have any arrest or any real updates to that case as of yet. But in the other three homicides, there have been teenagers brought into custody. So uh, it's a lot to unpack here because it's not just, it's youth against youth violence. So it's like, how can we make the situation better and stop it? Because the island deserves safety for their kids. Absolutely. And I think that that's really one of the most troubling aspects here is that we do see that in most of these cases, it is youth on youth violence. And that's something that obviously is a little bit harder in some ways to address than it is with adults. And so that's something that obviously stood out to me in reading your reporting. And then also the fact that a number of these cases, obviously, we did have the one who was stabbed on the bus, but we did have, in the other cases, even some non-fatal incidents that we'll discuss later, it's a lot of gun violence or, or guns being present in the situation. And that's something that Mayor Adams has been talking a lot about recently and trying to stop the flow of guns in New York City and the the ghost guns and, and you know, that are being manufactured here. And so I think it's kind of obviously a very multifaceted issue. But when you talk about the fact that it's youth on youth and you talk about this surge in gun violence that we're seeing across the city in general, you know, it kind of complicates things and, and muddies the water, so to speak. And so in the discussions that you've had with community advocates, with law enforcement officials, elected officials, what are they saying that they think the cause of this surge is? Because obviously violence is not something new, right? It's been happening forever. It's not something that's coming out of nowhere, but kind of this spike that we're seeing, what are they kind of attributing that to? They are, you know, they're doing the best that they can. 
in a situation that has been very tough. And there's no one cause to what is causing this violence to happen amongst Staten Island's youth. It's a very layered and uh, multi-faceted issue that is happening. So one of the biggest things is that because of the race, the age law, children who do commit violent offenses, they get to remand it back into family court. From the people that I've spoken to, they have raised concerns about making either repealing or making some edits to that law. Another thing that the community advocates and elected officials have agreed on as well is that it comes from a lot of mental health. Currently, I think New York City is in a mental health crisis, especially from the elected officials and also from the community advocates who are in the streets talking to the youth, trying to actively combat the violence that is happening. So what they say is that there need to be more mental health resources out there for the youth to utilize before it's too late. So at this point, the intersection between elected officials and community advocates is that mental health area. So they are working together to try to establish programs in schools and outside of schools and work with police to bring things like police and kid boxing to different neighborhoods and just get them positive, positive things, activities to do, as well as mental health resources so that it doesn't get so bad that a child makes such an incredible decision, incredibly bad decision, unfortunately, to take another child's life or anybody's life. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I want to dig into and that some of these incidences and and thankfully not the fatal incidences, but some of these incidences of gun violence, youth violence, stabbings have occurred at Staten Island schools. And so, again, these have not been fatal and these are not all restricted to this year necessarily. But in reading your timeline article, again, I I was a little surprised. Obviously, we see these stories when they come over, but when you have them all in one place of just kind of the number of incidents we've had where it's kids bringing guns to school, kids getting into fights at school and, and stabbings and, you know, shootings outside of schools. And again, these are not all this year. Some of these date back to previous year, 2022, 2021. But I think it's really kind of indicative of this this larger issue that we're having here. And it, it, I think it's something that's really tough on the community, I would imagine, because school is the place where you expect your child to be safe. So can you tell us a little bit about some of what's been going on in the schools here on Staten Island? There are schools that do have mental health resources, such as worry rooms, where kids can go and meditate privately there. And also there are different activities that kids could do outside of school nearby with like police officers and they hold different events as well. So right now there is a shortage of, um, I think they're called resource officers here in uh, New York City, Mm -hmm. Um, resource officers at schools to kind of help prevent this violence from coming into the school and everything. So that is a part of the issue as well. But the schools just kind of need help and they need help from parents of of their kids. So it's really a, a twofold thing where schools are doing the best that they can, but they also need parents to work with them. 
Yeah. And so just to kind of touch a little bit on some of these incidences that we're discussing here, because I think sometimes people may wrongly believe that issues of violence or crime are concentrated in certain sections of the borough for whatever reason. But when you kind of look at what our reporting and some of this stuff, these are things that are happening all over the borough, North Shore, South Shore, public school, Catholic school, whatever it may be. And Midland. So, right. Yeah. Every, everywhere. It's, it, you know, the issue is, is obviously pervasive throughout the borough. So in February, we had the incident where there was a video on social media showing what appeared to be a gun being slid across the floor at Moore Catholic High School. Last year in October, uh, actually about a year ago to, to the day, mm-hmm. we saw Outside Tottenville High School, there was a a shooting where a 14-year-old was wounded. He was hit in the ankle. And then the year prior to that, we had something at Wagner with a brawl outside of the school and uh, what appeared to be a male suspect using a firearm to pistol whip a child across the face. So again, these are things that are happening all across the borough, regardless of the type of school that your child is at. It can happen anywhere. It can happen to anyone. And so I just wanted to kind of highlight that a little bit. And Moving on, I think that another main place that we're seeing some of these issues take place is on public transit. And that's something that throughout the years we've heard stories about rowdy kids on the Staten Island Railway on their way back from school or crowded on the buses or or things like that. And that seems to have really picked up. and, And so can you talk a little bit about some of the incidents that we've seen on public transit over the past year plus? Yeah, so... Um, You did mention some of the incidents that did happen on public transit this year alone. It it was in in April. There was a melee at the Great Kills station that was captured on video showing a train platform that was crowded with students. And it was a fight happening between some teenagers and a 51-year-old man. And the man was stabbed in the back one time during that altercation. So it's stirring uh, these times where people are coming, where students might be coming to, are going from school to go home as well. We also had one of the fatalities this year also occur on an MTA bus, where yes. the stabbing occurred on mm-hmm. the MTA bus. And so this is clearly something that is an issue. We've had things in the past where there has been fights outside of schools and elected officials will get involved and the MTA will get involved and they'll try and provide additional buses to spread out the students and get them in and out quicker so they're not waiting around at the bus stop and they're not doing this or they're not doing that. So there have been some efforts made in this area, but it does seem that that continues to be an issue here, truly. And so it's also kind of a tough one to solve because, you know, we don't have the resources here and in New York City really to be staffing police officers on every train or on every bus or on everything. And we have these large groups of kids and they're in some ways kind of inciting some each other and, you know, riling each other up. And it becomes this this large thing and and there's not really much that a bus driver can do in that situation, right? Or a train conductor. And so that's another one we've seen just kind of at the schools themselves and on public transit are are really hotbeds for this youth violence, which is which is really troubling because again, going to school, being at school, coming home from school, those are supposed to be the safe time for your kids. You're in, you're at work, you're dealing with whatever the rest of your life going on. You want to be able to believe that their day is going to go the way you expect it to. And so I think that that's something that has really kind of been been tough about this whole issue. So, And this is something I've talked about 
on other podcasts with other reporters before, and it's something that I personally am not very good at, and I do not love doing at this job, and that is trying to talk to some of the friends and families after these incidences occur. Like, I've talked in the past to people, it's it's bad enough if someone deals with a fire or whatever it might be, their house burns down, you have to go knock on a door and try and talk to them. When it's an instance like this where someone's child has been murdered and you then have to go do your job and knock on that door and try and ask them some of these hard questions, what has that been like to you, especially learning the beat and getting into reporting just in the past few years? Like, What what has that experience been like for you trying to to have those tough conversations? Well, um, it's definitely um, a tough conversation and it's something that I never ever look forward to doing talking to the victim's family it's in general it's very hard it's really tough but it's especially tough to know that it was a child their whole lives were ahead of them they just you know they just thought they'd be here tomorrow and to know that they are not here and now there's a family very grieving and you know, processing that loss, it, it's really hard. So anything that I do, I always approach it from a, a place of empathy. There's nothing that I can do to make them feel better, take away the pain, rewind time, you know, anything that I would want to do because, you know, just humanly, um, when you see somebody or in a, definitely a group of people grieving on such an extreme and an immense level, for, you know, their 13-year-old child, their 17-year-old child, 15, any child, period, really, it's really something that it's really hard to do. But I always try to remind myself that this getting the word out about the type of person that was lost and the impact that they had on other people is always the best way to approach situations like that and to be honest it's it's never easy so any reporter who goes and you know um, has to reach out they have a knot in their stomach too because just I don't want to say just like you but they're not happy either to to be there or, or to be doing this because in an ideal world you know that child would would be alive yeah, absolutely. And I'm always reminded of something that our former colleague, Joe Ostapiuk, always used to tell me. Of, as many times as he would have a door slammed in his face, he would have families who invite him in and, and they want to talk about their family member or their friend. It can be cathartic for them in some senses. Yeah. And you never really know how someone is going to react to it. And and I also like the point that you bring up. It's It makes me a little anxious, too. I'm sure they don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it either. I never want to have to ask someone no. that question. But unfortunately, that is part of our job. And there are going to be people who want to talk to you. I commend you and our breaking news team and all of the great reporters who who do those types of stories and tell those types of stories, because it is something that's very difficult on them. It's very difficult on us. And uh, but it's very important to get out there. So that that was one thing that I definitely wanted to touch on here. And then I also wanted to talk a little bit about the personal impacts of covering these types of tragic stories. Because as a reporter, when you're dealing with death and dismay, to to be frank, quite frequently in all of these types of stories, it can be taxing and it it can take a toll on your mental health. And so I know that our company and I'm sure others out there 
do things like providing mental health resources to their employees in case they do need help in that way. But I'm curious for you, considering that your beat really is primarily breaking news and you're covering crime, death, fire, these types of things, what is it like at the end of the day or does that have uh, the toll on you in the way that it does for some others? It takes a toll um, mentally. I am a sensitive person. I connect emotionally to a lot of the families that I do speak to and I always let them know that I am here. I am here. I feel like for me, that is one of the things that I do to help not just them, yes, but for for me to know that I am helping somebody that helps take some of the sadness mm-hmm. out of my heart. You know, these aren't just words on a, on a paper. These are people. These are mothers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins who um, lose, lose their lives. At the end of the day, I just kind of have to, I don't know, just, just kind of find a way to meditate it out. Mm-hmm. I try to go to the gym to, you know, get that that sadness out yeah. through a, you know, a tough workout and everything. But yeah, it definitely is not easy. And for any victims and victims of families, you know, the reporter that rings your doorbell that day stays forever impacted by you all. And it just isn't just Oh, another story in in a new cycle, you know, is very real because we live in these communities, too. We are your neighbors and we we mourn as well, though we do have to tell these stories. We do mourn with you guys as well. Yeah. And that's something that I've struggled with uh, at times as well in in my career. I think back to when I've had to cover the 9-11 memorial that they do each year down in St. George. And when they have some of the the spouses or family members up there speaking about their lost loved ones, I'm fighting back tears sometimes, listening to the family speak about them. And, and those kinds of things are really tough on, on me as well. Obviously not anything like what they are feeling, but if you are someone who is sensitive, if you are someone who is generally empathetic, it can be difficult because you kind of absorb a lot of that sadness and a lot of those feelings that they're having and you feel it almost for them without without trying to. I don't want to feel that for them, but I do. And it's, it it makes things really, really difficult in certain situations. It it does. There has been times where I I speak to a family and I shed a tear in front of them. I don't want to cry in front of you too. I, I want to be, you know, the pillar for you, you know, but we all are people. There's sometimes I've had to go back to my car and have a good five, 10 minute cry over some of the things I've heard and, and witnessed so definitely when you see these reporters, they are definitely feeling it too. And they are not taking any type of like, thrill or excitement from having to report on, you know, homicide-based stories, especially those um, involving violence between kids and young people on this island. Yeah, no, for sure. And so I want to, before we go, just talk a little bit about some of the future stories that I know you and Kyle are working on in this series. So what should our um, readers be looking out for in the future in terms of uh, what's to come here? So we've kind of done, I don't want to say introduction, but an introduction as to where we all are at. And we gathered everything. Um, I wrote an article that is entitled, if anybody wants to go and read it, For Children Lost. 
and several violent school incidents, a look at Staten Island's youth crime timeline that clearly lays out where we are at. So the next installment is to see what our elected officials going to do, what plans that do they have in place, if any. But I'm, I said if any, but, you know, I just have to say that I'm right. our elected right. officials. They, They're they working. On it. They working on it. They try and do their thing because they really do care about the community and the, their constituents in which they serve. So that's what I'm I'm working on next. And hopefully there is not, you know, we just make stories coming from a place of solving mm-hmm. the issue. And I really hope and also pray that no other, there's not a fifth child here or a sixth child, you know, that, you know, it definitely calms down and we don't have to report on sad things like that. Yeah, no, that is certainly the the hope for us here at The Advance and I think across Staten Island in general. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Shayna. It was great having you on. I really enjoyed it and I will have to do my best to get you back on again soon. I'm sorry that it's taken this long. Thank you so much for um, inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.